Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. We're going to be in chapter 3 tonight. So basically what I'm doing is going over the full chapter as an overview to help you take somebody through it. So this is kind of like a training. Is that okay? Now, I mean, if it's not, then I don't even know why you came. Anyway, uh, so this is my purple book, by the way. I wish we'd get a close-up of this, but we can't. Look at this crazy thing. I have worn out this thing. Now, I did get a new one. I did the same thing, but I left it at home, but I I always keep this one with me. But uh, I did this because so many people say so many good things, and I wanted to write them down, and that's the one drawback of how it's laid out. There's nowhere to really take good notes. So you have to, and I don't like separate journals, so uh, that sounds kind of bougie, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, so what I'm going to do tonight is, well, they did get a close-up. Look at that. Look at that right there. Look it up on the screen. That's crazy, isn't it? Back cover's gone. Front cover's gone. Got coffee all in it. Okay. So if you have your purple book with me, with you, we're going to do chapter three, which is repentance and baptism. What we're going to go through is the importance of, or what is repentance, and why baptism. And again, when, when you're going through this with someone or yourself, what I would suggest is that you write down questions, have them write down questions, and then have them go to the scripture and figure out what the answer is. And the reason I say, or you, because, re, and you can get someone to help you, but what, what we want to do and what the goal of the Purple Book is, is to direct people to scripture. If I, I don't want to be, the, I don't want to have the answers for everybody. Uh, that's way too much pressure, and I could tell them wrong. I mean, who? But if we teach them to go to the Word first, again, not only, but first, go to Scripture and see if you can find a situation, find a principle, find a promise, find something that you can that you can learn from, and maybe that'll help you through that moment. And then go sit with somebody and discuss it. I know for me, uh, when I discuss something with somebody, I learn more, and I retain it a lot more than just reading it myself. So that's the beauty of sitting down with somebody. Uh, we always think, or it's funny how we'll sit with somebody and go, I'm going to take them through the purple book, but then I learn just as much as they because of the, the questions they have or the exp- life experiences they have that I, don't, I haven't gone through. So it, it's, it's all training and all teaching both of us at the same time. Does that make sense? Now, look, I'm used to a bunch of rowdy men. Y'all are going to have to be a little bit. Okay. So let's start. Uh, first of all, just because I'm, I'm not going to assume that everybody knows me. I am JT McCraw, one of the pastors here. This actually May was my 26th year here at Bethel. So I've been here a very, very long time. And uh, I haven't been on staff that long. But, and I said this in my video if you watched it. Uh, for the first chapter is the purple book and going through it, somebody sitting down with me literally has saved my life. And what I mean by that is the foundational teachings that it's taught me has sustained me. 
when things hit me that I wasn't expecting. Has life ever hit you and you didn't expect it? Like, I didn't expect that. I may have expected some things, but not that. And we all know that storms are going to come to every one of us. It, does, it could be in the form of sickness. It could be in the form of relational issues. It could be in the form of uh, children going wayward. It could be marital issues. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that life hits us that we didn't plan on it hitting us. So if we don't have something that we can grab onto and hold onto during that moment, then we're just tossed everywhere. Wherever that wind blows is where we go. So that's what having good foundations uh, does in our life. And that's why it has sustained me. I haven't known all the answers, but I've, but I've known where to hold on to. <laughs> and sometimes that's all I got. This is, I just know how to hold on and be patient. Well, I think I'm being patient, but the storm teaches me to be patient even more. So uh, let's look at lesson one. I'm going to do an overview, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat this uh, I'm not going to hit every verse. I'm not going to hit every single thing. Again, this is an overview. And what I'll do at the end, if we have time, uh, we do have a couple hours. So uh, everybody's like, what? Uh, <clears throat> at the end, I will take some questions if you have some questions. Because, I, again, I want, there's no sense of communicating something that you don't get. <laughs> so I want you to get it. Okay. Uh, we'll start in Acts 2. What is the, uh, what is the purpose or what is the, uh, the method of repentance? Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, the, one of the greatest stories in Scripture, uh, and Carlos and I just said, he just brought this up tonight, uh, before this, was, is the prodigal son. It's one of the greatest, to, in my opinion, it is the great, I love that story for a multi, multiple reasons. One, it was a son that took his inheritance, so it means he had one. <laughs> you got to have one in order to take it. He squandered it. He lost everything, living in despair. And then I love when Scripture says this, he came to his senses. Sometimes I just look at God and go, you have lost your ever-loving mind. And it's a true statement. I'm not trying to be funny. It's like they've lost it. So he lost his mind, but yet then he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, came to his senses that's when he remembered, wait. The servants in my dad's house are living better than this. I mean, he was in a, he was clean, he was feeding pigs. And just so you know, as a little caveat, that for a Jew was the worst of the worst because that was considered an unclean animal. So here he was feeding. That was the, one of the lowest forms of work that you could get as a Jew. And that's what he was doing. But yet... When his dad saw him afar off, what did he do? He ran to him. And it's a great picture of what repentance is, is that there was a confession. I have sinned not only against you, but I've sinned against heaven. That's a deeper sin. I've sinned against, 
yeah, I've sinned against you, but man, I've sinned against God too. Much deeper. Then he, we'll talk about this a little bit in depth, more in depth. Then he turned. Repentance means there is a turn from something to something else. And then there, the next step was baptism. Baptism is simply just an outward expression of an inner transformation. It means outwardly, I'm, I'm showing publicly what's going on privately. And then, uh, as it says in Luke 15, 20, or as it says uh, in Acts 2, I'm not going to go there yet, it says that they were added to the church daily. That is the, a method, so to speak, of scriptural that says when a guy confesses, he turns, he gets baptized in water, and then he's added to the local body. That is a great process. And that's a process that creates uh, stability in a person's life. Because how many know when somebody comes to faith, they're like a baby and they need help? Now, that's a metaphor. I'm not calling you a baby, by the way. But it is, a, it is, a, is a, a, an illustration of we need to feed them, care for them, make sure they get on the right path. So when you're connected to a local body, that helps. Uh, Peter in Acts 2, and I'll go to it, Acts 2, 41 and 42 actually pleaded with people to repent. And it says, and those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. They dev- then they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So there was people that accepted, and then they were baptized. Then they, were devoted, they devoted themselves. What they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching I mean, they, then uh, remembering who, what Christ did, that's a part of that. Is there, I mean, no, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. The teaching, uh, which, by the way, thank you, is like Sunday morning service or right now. They devoted themselves to the, go to the temple and to each other's houses. So it was the, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, that's our life groups. Uh, that's a great fellowship. Uh, you can take me out to lunch anytime you want to. That's fellowship. Uh, you can do uh, departments like men's department, women's department, singles, uh, youth. I mean, we have all these departments that you can get connected with. Uh, and then they did breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread is not just uh, taking a loaf of bread and breaking it. Yes, that's part of it. But it's also the act of communion the act of remembering what Christ did, becoming one body. When we do that together, when we do communion together, it's like we're doing it and becoming one body. It's an unbreakable bond uh, with each other and with God, and it's a relational healing. This is my favorite part of it. It's relational healing. Meaning, have you ever had aught against somebody, and you know, you're talking to somebody and go, yeah, we got it. We broke bread together. We got over that. That's a symbol of we did something that connected us and joined us Together and now we're not going to remember that. We're going to move forward. So that's what they did. That was all an overview of lesson one. How about that? Did you learn anything? We'll see later. It was a test. Okay. Turning from sin, lesson two. Mark 1.15 says this. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This was Jesus talking. And then Paul in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. 
not laying again the foundation. This is found, repentance is foundational and it's, and it's uh, just elementary at its, at its core. And uh, also faith in God is another elementary teaching. Again, we see two foundational truths of, this, of, the, of our faith. Repentance, which again means to turn from God, which is confession, and then walking toward God. Now, this is important because the prodigal had to be walking toward the father in order for the father to see him. It wasn't good enough or it wasn't... Uh, it just wasn't enough for him to sit with the pigs and feed them and confess what he needed. He actually had to get up and walk to the Father so that the Father could see him. A lot of times, uh, people will confess that they know God, but they never take the steps of action. It's just by word of mouth. This, it's like... Uh, you know, the current and a stream. The only time you really feel uh, resistance is when? As in you're walking against it. So here we've been going through a current of sin, so to speak. And then all of a sudden we realize, like the prodigal son did, wait a minute. Uh, the servants in my father's house live better than I do. I've sinned against God in heaven. And then we turn and then that's when we feel the resistance. And a lot of times, people will confess God again. They will confess, but then they sort of moonwalk backwards with the current. They never walk forward. And I see this uh, when we do connect class. Sometimes people will come into connect class, and we get to repentance and salvation, and, and they'll, we'll ask them, you know, what was your salvation experience like? And they'll bring up their grandma They'll bring up their Uncle Joe, I mean, their faith. They'll start talking, well, I grew up in church, you know, but there was never an experience that they had themselves. So it just shows, it, it tells us, oh, they know who God is. They've just never walked toward him. And really, I can, I can think back of my own life. Uh, I grew up in church, so I knew church lingo. I knew the language. I knew the songs. I could tell you that I'll Fly Away is on page 43 of the hymnal. Remember that song? I wish we did that song again. I used to think that was cool as a kid. Anyway, uh, I could tell you all that stuff, but all I was was looking at who God was without knowing who he was because I was walking backwards because I'd never re fully repented. And it, and it showed itself when I got older and my life was a mess. Why? Because I, I was never truly saved. I never truly repented. Not until I was 36 years old and I'm 53 now. So did I just say my age out loud? Oh, geez. It must be crazy. Uh, so, but you get my point. A lot of people think, and we're in the South, we call this the, the we're in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And a lot of people know who Christ is, but they don't have fruit of their life to really show that they know him. So they're the, they're the people that have turned and confessed something, but they've not walked towards so the father can actually see them. And what did the father do when he saw the son? Embraced and threw a big celebration. 
And it says that all of heaven does that. Every time somebody comes to faith, heaven breaks out and party. What is, who is this message for? According to Acts 17.30, this message is for all people in every nation. That, doesn't, that leaves out no one. Who, what will happen to those who don't repent? This is scary. Jesus said in Luke 13.3, he said, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Strong words coming from Christ himself. True repentance involves confession of sin, turning and walking toward God. And what else? That's a question. That's a direct question in, in the purple book there. It says, according to Exodus 22.3, restitution. And we look at the life of, uh, uh, of Zacharias, the tax collector. And what he did, he was a corrupt tax collector. In fact, he was, it's almost as if he was untouchable by the people because of his role and because of who he was. But Jesus inspired him to repent and to make restitution for his sin. And it tells us that he went and gave half of all of his possessions to the poor and then repaid everybody that he had cheated four times. Why would he do that? Because it's really the kindness of Christ, the kindness of God that compels us to do things like that. Because once we realize, when we repent and once we realize what we've been forgiven of and that it didn't have to happen this way, then it, our response is to, all right, I'm, whatever, whatever, whatever you ask, I'm giving. You want me to give half of my stuff to the poor? I'm doing it. You want me to repay everybody for it? I'm doing it. Because I just got something that's worth far more than any earthly possession that I have. There's two types of sorrow. This is, this, is, uh, this is super important to me that people understand this because, again, this is my story. Worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. For 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now, worldly sorrow looks like this. I'm sorry that I got caught, or I'm sorry that my sin affected someone else so deeply. That's what that means. World, godly sorrow says, I'm sorry because I've sinned against heaven and you. There's no qualifiers. I've sinned against heaven and you. Worldly sorrow pauses sin for a season. Because you see the effect of it, and you go, I don't, because subconsciously, you don't want to hurt people. But over time, if you don't repent and get that out, it will come back. It just takes a little time. And it's usually the little pet sins that we have. Anybody got pet sins? You know what I mean by that, a pet sin? It means you like it so much you keep it around like a pet. We feel bad about them, but we don't feel bad enough about them to eliminate them because they actually give us comfort or it's a go-to. Or as one of my doctor friends said, he goes, people don't repent properly because they love their sin. They just don't want to confess that they love their sin. Man, I hope that's not me. 
Worldly sorrow also is a relief of pain for a moment. It's like a Tylenol or something. It's just going to relieve the pain. It's not going to fix the source. Worldly sorrow uh, produces, here's what it produces, pride, isolation, eagerness to smooth things over. Like husbands know this. They just want to, they just want to smooth it over with their wife. They really don't want to deal with the issue at hand. It's just a smooth over, right? And wives know the difference, by the way. Mantra does. When I want to just smooth it over and I don't really want, you know, I don't really want to admit that I did something wrong. I just try to smooth it over. And it's readiness to see the pain come to an end, but in the end, it leads to death. Godly sorrow leads us away from sin. And it's a completely different direction. That's that turn. It's a do whatever is necessary. I will do whatever is necessary to get rid of this. Not just this feeling, but this sin. This sin, because if I don't, it's going to take me down a road that I don't want to go down again. It produces humility, eagerness to clear yourself, indignation, meaning anger at the sin. Ready, I love this. A readiness to see justice done. And it leads to life. Look at Peter and Judas. Let's look at their lives in just a real quick snapshot. Peter denies Jesus, right? Jesus said, you're going to deny me. He does, he does deny him. And what does he do? Peter is immediately remorseful. He repents. And then he's restored. How do we know this? Because the outcome of that was he served Christ, preached his word, and many came to faith. His life was completely changed because he went through the process of remorseful. He was remorseful. He was repentant. And then he was restored. Judas, on the other hand, and that's godly sorrow. That's what godly sorrow produces. Worldly sorrow produces regret, resentment. It says Judas got bitter. And then rejection. He rejected his own self and took his own life. But that's, that's, that's what worldly sorrow does. Again, back to me a little bit. Uh, the, my wife and I went through something in 1995. Uh, and I repented, sort of. But really, I was, we went through something major in our marriage. And instead of separating, we decided to stay and work it out because I seemed so repentive. I went to counseling. I went, did all this stuff, you know. But the one thing that I did not do, I, that was just worldly sorrow because I just wanted the pain to go away because of the pain that I'd caused her, the pain that I'd caused my children and my friends. And I just wanted it over. So I was willing to do whatever it took to get that feeling over. The evidence is that it was God, worldly sorrow was that it only took me about four years to get right back in that same routine. And that same routine went on for about another four or five years until, how I many know that sin eventually hits a brick wall? <laughs> and I hit that brick wall. My wife wasn't so nice this time. And we separated for nine months. And I thought we were, well, we were divorcing. But that was the moment that, this was 2004, that, that 
I understood the difference between the two. Because now it's I've not sinned against my wife. I've sinned against God. This is a much deeper issue than, and it started me down this journey of going, what, else, what is in my life that causes me to do this because now I'm going to be single. So it had nothing to do with saving my marriage. It had everything to do with saving my soul. And I went through this process of godly sorrow. And it took months and months to, for me to uh, go through this process of this transformation, so to speak. And it was just the beginning. And the result is that nine months later, my wife and I got back together and moved back in. And now I wouldn't trade my marriage for anything because we fought, I followed a path of godly sorrow, which means that I, with, with or without my wife, I decided to live a certain way. And that way was, God, I'm going to do whatever you say. Now you're, we say the boss, but you're the king, you're the boss, but more importantly, you're my father. And I know that even your servants are living better than what I'm living. <laughs> but that's, that is the difference in worldly sorrow. And, God, and I can tell you, I can sit with a man or a woman, but mostly men, and tell the difference pretty, pretty much within the first uh, couple of meetings. Because here's the problem. Worldly sorrow and godly sorrow look the same for a season. Because people are sorry. But it just takes time. To see the separation of, oh, you, were just, you just wanted relief from pain, not really relief from sin. And there is a difference. Uh, on page 36, I'm going to read this paragraph just because it's so powerful and I just don't want to add anything to it. Um, the hope of every believer is that Christ's work in us is more powerful than our past or current struggles or temptations. That's our hope. The picture of salvation the Bible paints is not just of deliverance, but God's spirit empowering us to live new lives. Now, I'm going to stop right there because next week we're going to go over the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit looks like. But that's what that's what I didn't have because when you, get, when you really repent and you come to faith, you're empowered with the Holy Spirit to actually live it out. Without it, eventually, you're just going to go back. So that's a huge difference that we're going to go over next week. But when we repent and we go through this process, the next step then is water baptism. This is chapter 4. Again, I'm going to read this first paragraph because it's just, again, I don't want to add or take any way, add or take anything away from this. If you take a trip to Israel and tour the ancient land where Jesus lived and ministered, you'll discover that the world of the Bible included the concept of ritual bathing. Men and women would wash ceremony to cleanse themselves from the dirt and defilement of the outside world. Jesus and his disciples came preaching and calling people to be baptized to symbolize the cleansing that takes place through their faith. In the Great Commission, Jesus would command his, command his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whether it was Peter's message 
in Acts 2 or Philip's message in Acts 4, those who repented were baptized. It was the next step. Again, because it was an outside showing of what has happened and what just happened on the inside. The New Testament gives us four different illustrations to help us to understand the significance of water baptism. One is Romans 6, 4, uh, and 5. It talks about burial and resurrection. This is the most common. We think about this. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a, in a resurrection like this. It's barrel and We talk about, we've written songs about the watery grave, right? You go down, you're washed, and you come up. The next one is circumcision. In his, this is Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So a spiritual circumcision, not a natural circumcision, is a putting off of our sinful nature. The flood, 1 Peter uh, 3, 20 through 21, says this, to those who were, diso- who, to those who were diso- disobedient, Long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the dirt removal of the dirt of the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So basically saying it's not the water that baptizes you, <laughs> I mean, that saves you, but it is the, and also gives you a clear conscience, which I love, but it's Jesus Christ who saves us. It's not, it's not baptism, okay? Israelites crossing the Red Sea, this is the last one. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 says this, for I do not want you to become ignorant of the fact brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. Why were the Israelites fleeing the Egyptians? Because they were enslaved to them. The Egyptians chased them and were killed by what? The water that covered them became their grave. In the same way the Israelites were in slavery to the Egyptians, we were all slaves of sin. The Israelites were freed from their bondage by passing through the Red Sea. Baptism pictures the freedom from sin that Jesus produced for us on the cross. So when we get baptized, it's that same exact picture that I am leaving something behind that was chasing me, and that is sin. I mean, no sin chases you. Jesus comes to the door and knocks, but sin chases you. Peter teaches us that it's not the removal of dirt from the body that saves us. So it's not the act nor the water that saves us. It's the resurrection of Christ. But by obeying his command to be baptized, we identify with the power of the cross and resurrection to deliver us completely from the power and authority of sin. 
And Acts, in closing, Acts 22, 16 says this, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. That is the entire chapter three in an overview. Pretty simple, eh? It's pretty simple to understand. Uh, not so easy to do. <laughs> Living this life is not the easiest. So what I want to do is if you have any questions whatsoever, we have a mic that they can go to. Okay, perfect. Uh, if you want to ask a question, you want to ask clarification, if you've always said, hey, I've had this, I didn't know, understand this, if you have any question whatsoever, I promise you Jeffrey Singleton can answer it. <laughs> Jeffrey's like, what? Does anybody have, I, want to, I wanted to leave five or six minutes for this, so does anybody have any questions whatsoever? Or do you have a story? Do you have a testimony that, you, that, that, hey, this is really, this worked or this was my story? I was a little bit transparent about my story. Is there anything anybody wants to say? If not, I'm going to close this out. And we're going to go eat pizza with the youth. No. Anybody? Okay. All righty. Bryson, do you have any questions? You did, you did such a good job. I don't have you need to repent. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let me pray then. And let me say this. Thank you for coming tonight. Wednesday. If you're coming on a Wednesday night, you are so dedicated and committed and wanting to learn. And that's why, we, that's why we're willing to do it. If you're willing to learn, we're willing to teach uh, because we learn something too. I always learn something. I'm telling you, I learned something. I learned something today just going through this process again. And it just reminds me of my own, you know, one thing that it does for me, it reminds me of where I used to be. Just let me know I don't want to go back there again. <laughs> so if there's any sin that's in me, then I'm, I'm going to get that out. So it don't take root and take me back to where I used to be. It just, it's a scary thing, right? All right, Lord, thank you for, uh, uh, again, thank you for the avenue that you've given us of repentance. Lord, you didn't leave us without answers. You gave us answers. You gave us a way. You love us so much, just as the prodigal son's father. Lord, you're waiting on us. You're just waiting on us to come back to you so that you, we, you can actually see our face. And Lord, that you can run to us and celebrate that your lost prodigal son has, and daughter has come home. Lord, thank you for being such a loving father the perfect Father. Lord, thank you for giving us this tool Lord, that we can lead ourselves so that we can lead others to Scripture and to you so that we become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys.